Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Around the Keg podcast, your one-stop shop for hot takes and cold beer. I'm your host, Whip Barfield, and we have a quicker show for you guys today, so let's go ahead and get into it. Guys, how are y'all doing? Doing good, man. Doing really good. Had a great time watching the draft this weekend. Um, you know, the draft is one of those things where I, I feel like I keep up with it really well. And then on Saturday, during round six and seven, I'm like, I have no idea what the hell was happening other than round one. I remember what happened in round one, but like after after those those middle rounds, it's such a blur. Uh, but but always a good time to watch and, and see guys that get picked and see the reactions of guys whenever they get drafted and their families and you know how much it means to them. So it's it's really cool to see see that. Uh, Lando, how you doing, man? Doing good. Had a barbecue party on Sunday. Had some friends over, ate a little barbecue, and then we all went bowling afterwards where I kicked their butt three times in a row, even bowled a turkey on my last frame, you know, so it was pretty cool to kick all their butts in bowling, uh, finally get my groove back. So yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, Wit, how about you? Uh, I'm doing great. Work's still pretty busy. Last weekend was easily the chillest weekend I've had in a long time. I just kind of hung out and watched a couple movies. I'm kind of in the middle of going back through all the Marvel movies when I have time to. And I think I've just gotten to Infinity War. That's my next one. And uh, so, I'm, so I'm about done. Uh, hopefully just in time for some of these new movies to come out. Uh, I posted on my Instagram the other day. They're they're just starting to get to the point where they're starting to put out some of their new stuff. And I'm, I'm a big Marvel, Marvel Star Wars kind of guy. Um, I think a lot of us are here. I'm doing good. Keys, how are you doing? Yeah, speaking of that, it's uh, May the 4th right now. So May the 4th be with you. Uh, it won't be the fourth when we release this episode, but no. I did nothing Star Wars today. I can't believe it. Uh, I always at least watch a movie, so maybe there's still time. But um, yeah, I've been doing pretty good. Yeah, like Lando said, we've been going bowling a lot lately, so we're getting back in the swing of it. Back in college, we used to bowl a lot, so we kind of get out of the groove. It's nice to get back into it, and we're doing it about twice a week now. It's, it's getting pretty serious. So, But let's talk some football. Let's talk some NFL draft, guys. Yeah, guys, let's talk about the draft. Um, I don't know about y'all, but I was pretty happy with how my team came out. Obviously, for y'all that don't know, I'm a Falcons fan, and as is Keys. Um, and uh, I, I was I was pretty upset that we ended up passing on Justin Fields. Justin Fields is from our hometown, and um, I think he's a really good quarterback, had a really good career at Ohio State. So um, I was kind of cheering for him to go number four to us if he was going to be there. But since we didn't pick him, and uh, Kyle Pitts was honestly, in my opinion, the best player in the draft, or at least top three, so – pretty happy with it wait so so you think Kyle Pitts was the best player in the draft um I, I mean I'd say Trevor Lawrence is probably the best player in the draft but outside of Trevor Lawrence or quarterback I'd say either him or Pina Sewell are probably the best too maybe Devontae Smith he was the best athlete in the draft for sure he's the unicorn of the draft at least there's not there's not anybody else in the draft that can do what he does I'll say that Matt how do you think the the, the Jags did in the in their in their draft I really like the Jags draft. Um, obviously, Trevor Lawrence being the number one pick uh, was huge, but I, I really didn't know what direction they were going to go with their second pick in the first round. Uh, I was thinking they could go receiver, they could go defense, um, and they ended up going with what I, I it surprised me, but I love the pick with Travis Etienne. Um, I, I think that having him in the backfield with James Robinson is going to be that one-two punch very similar to – Fred Taylor and Maurice Jones-Drew. So uh, I think Urban Meyer did a really good job addressing some team needs. Uh, we got the corner. Uh, I, I can't remember the kid's name, but uh, I was pleased with it. I kind of wanted Asante Samuel whenever we got at him, uh, drafted that kid. Uh, he was still on the board, Asante Samuel Jr., that is. Um, but we passed on him and got a corner that had a lot of upside and just didn't play last year. Um, but, you know, I, overall, I think that Urban Meyer had a great first draft, but uh, the draft grades, in my opinion, for this year, uh, they really needed to come out for Urban in January. How did the Jags do? How did those players perform? And then uh, we can really assess, you know, how how he did talent-wise. Lando, you happy with what the Eagles did? I'll be honest. I'll give the Eagles like a – C minus on what we did in the draft. I like what they did with Devontae Smith. He was the best player available at the time. We need receivers. Eagles need receivers. The quarterback uh, finally has somebody with speed, like a, a deep threat to throw to instead of Alshon Jeffrey, who hasn't been good in like 10 years or other players. John Jackson, who's getting old, who can't really stay healthy. So 
Uh, I'm definitely happy with the uh, Devontae Smith pick. Uh, everybody after that is, I mean, I guess we'll see how they how they pan out. I wish the Eagles would have drafted some more offensive line. They ended up drafting Landon Dickerson, the center from Alabama. I think that's a really good pick right there. Uh, kind of get somebody in the middle to sure up the offensive line. Now we just need to get some tackles to really help uh, uh, keep the quarterback off the turf. Yeah, I like that Landon Dickerson pick. Uh, and I think that was a good value pick, too, because I think a lot of people had him kind of graded as a first-rounder until he tore his ACL. So uh, getting him there in the second round was a good pick for the Eagles, I think. I was a big Landon Dickerson fan, and I think that that's a guy that, that is good of a teammate as he is. That's why the Eagles took him there. Uh, Matt Jones' pro day, Najee Harris's pro day. You see him there supporting his teammates on, being a great teammate. And uh, with football being the ultimate team game, I think that that's a guy that really adds a lot of value to the offensive line, not just talent-wise, but also in that way as a teammate. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I'm looking at the Eagles draft right now. I think they had a really good draft. I think you're kind of lowballing them there a little bit. I'd probably give them like a like a solid B, maybe even a B plus. Um, like y'all, y'all talked about Devontae Smith and Landon Dickerson, but they also got Kenneth Gainwell, who's from Memphis. He was one of my favorite players. Uh, coming out this year, he's an absolute stud. Really, really good all-purpose kind of back. Um, and they also got Jacoby Stevens from LSU. He's he's a safety. Um, they got him in the sixth round. I think that's an awesome value pick too. Um, but honestly, my favorite draft, uh, besides the Falcons, obviously. Even though I'd say I'd probably give the Falcons like an A minus, mostly just because I wanted us to go quarterback in the first round. But my favorite draft, the only A-plus I would give out is to the Browns. I think they did a really good job with who they ended up with. From top to bottom, they had value, whether it's value, whether it's just uh, filling needs. Oh, my gosh, they did so well. Ended up with the Northwestern corner in the first round. They got Awusu Koromoa in the second round. That's a guy I thought would easily go in the first round. Anthony Schwartz is probably the fastest player in the draft in the third round. Um, Toe guy from Ohio State. They got Richard LeCount in the fifth round. I mean – Fantastic draft. I think we're going to see some special things for the Browns next year. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. The Browns won the draft, in my opinion. The Browns last year played playoff-style football, which is they're going to punch you in the mouth and just run the football and be be real physical with you. And their draft embodied how they played football last year. So there's going to be even more, more powerful uh, this upcoming year. They're going to really hit people in the mouth, step all over them, kind of do what uh, the Detroit Lions head coach was talking about in, in his uh, in his presser, talking about biting ankles, biting, taking off knees, you know, taking off elbows. That's what the Browns are going to do. Yeah, I love the Browns draft. And I think that, like, counting the fifth round was a, was a steal for them. I think that he's going to be a really good safety uh, in, in, the, in the pros. And uh, pat on the back of the SEC for uh, all the draft picks yet again this year. I think – I think – my favorite stat, and it's gonna piss Lando off, but it's my—it's like Nick Saban doesn't even have to recruit anymore. Of the last two first rounds, ten mm. of, the, of the last sixty-four first rounders have been Alabama players. Oh, there's that, like that, there, there's no recruiting pitching. Like walk in, you want to be a first rounder? Here's your best shot. Yeah, I mean that 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 stat doesn't really piss me off. I mean it's just the Nick Saban effect. I I completely understand. He he gets the best players in the country, and then they go play NFL football. I mean it's. It's, it's completely logical for a stat to be like that. Look, I hate to do this because I just cannot stay in Alabama football and everybody, and y'all know that. But the 2017 recruiting class for Alabama is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I was just I was just talking to a buddy of mine about this the other day. I, I think it's hard to say that there has been another recruiting class in history that was as good as Nick Saban's 2017 recruiting class. And if you look at the numbers, um, I was kind of looking at some of the math uh, it was probably like yesterday. The recruiting class that he had last year, average wise, like for average, like ranking of player or rating of player for on twenty four seven sports, is higher than that twenty seventeen recruiting class, which is absolutely ridiculous. But I mean, you literally go down this list: Najee Harris, first round; Alex Leatherwood, first round; Dylan Moses was a five star guy. He ended up not even get, getting drafted. Jerry Judy, first round; Tua, first round; Jedrick Wills, first round; Xavier McKinney, second round; Devontae Smith, first round; Henry Ruggs, first round. Mac Jones, first round. Like, that's that's absurd. 29 players and that many guys going first round. You guys are throwing out these Alabama stats. There, That's cool. You guys have cool stats. Well, let me tell you something. Oklahoma has cool stats, too. 
Oklahoma is the only college football team to have back-to-back Heisman Trophy winners go back-to-back number one overall picks ever. <laughs> you know, you got to you got to give you some. You got to have something. Every school's got something, right? Georgia Georgia broke the uh, UGA school record this year for most draft picks for for the University of Georgia, not all time. But so that was pretty cool. I had nine guys drafted. Um, I was actually surprised we had as many guys drafted as we did. Um, but I was, I mean, like I said, I hate Alabama, but you got to give credit where it's due. And it's just another thing to put on Nick Saban's resume to say that he's the greatest coach of all time. And I think it's hard to argue at this point. To continue with the draft, I think that the Bears did what they were supposed to do in drafting Justin Fields. However, I think that Justin Fields is going to a complete utter mess with the Chicago Bears. I, I I hope nothing but the best for the guy. I hope he does well, but I think it's going to be really difficult for him to succeed with a franchise that is struggling right now. Yeah, and, you know, I, I am a closet Bears fan. I have i don't know what it is. I've always liked the Bears. They've never had a quarterback. They, they're the, they're, they've never had one. And, I mean, like, Jay Cutler is the, is the guy who everyone's like, oh, yeah, he was the best quarterback. And Jay Cutler was not very good. I mean, he was he was all right, but Jay, Jay Cutler's problem was was all in his head. He had he had all yeah. the other he had all, all the intangibles you you want for a quarterback, except for uh, mental. And he was a complete douchebag. Like no one liked him on the team. So there, there's that too. Um, I, it's really hard for me to see any way that with the current coaching staff, like Matt Nagy. I don't know that he's going to be able to do anything with Justin Fields. And I know we talked a lot before the draft about a lot of these quarterbacks, rookie success, like these, these guys that get drafted, their success weighs on the situation they go into, the coach that they have, and what's around them. I mean, I, I don't really see the Bears being the best fit for Justin Fields, but the, the, the Bears definitely did what they needed to do by getting Justin Fields because Ryan Pace just saved his job and gave himself another year at least by saying, Hey, you know, now, now if it it fails, you can blame that on, uh, you know, Oh, well, Ohio state quarterback, you know, it's just another one. If it, if it doesn't work out, even though I think Justin Fields is going to be okay. Um, I, I don't know. I determined Justin Fields was screwed when Matt Nagy gave up, play calling duties after the first half of the season last year and then once they got rid of Trubisky and you know brought in Andy Dalton he he decided he was gonna take over play calling abilities again like th- picks pick something dude like are you gonna call plays or you're not gonna call plays you know st- stick with a quarterback are you gonna stick with this one guy or are you gonna play this one guy he he's going to such a crappy situation I kind of feel bad for the guy I disagree just a little bit because I think the first year Trubisky was a starter, the year they went to the playoffs, Matt Nagy's play calling is kind of what got that offense to score the points they did. It wasn't Mitch Trubisky. A lot of people kind of gave him a lot of credit, but you saw what happened when Matt Nagy kind of let off the reins a little bit and tried to let Mitch take over the offense a little bit more. It, it, there wasn't much going on. I, I mean, I, I don't think he really has the weapons he needs. He's got Allen Robinson, who's a stud. That's going to help him a lot. I like David Montgomery. I don't think their offensive line is terrible, but they could use some help. Defense is awesome. That's one thing that I think is going to help him a lot. He's coming into a good situation on defense. And I think when it comes to a young quarterback, that's really what you want more than anything. A decent offensive line. Uh, a pretty, I'd say Allen Robinson's up there as like a top 10 to 15 receiver in the league. That's going to help him a lot too. And then that defense. Um, and then if you look at their draft, I mean, after Justin, it was offensive lineman, offensive lineman, running back, Daz Newsom, wide receiver out of North Carolina in the sixth round, who I think was an absolute steal because he's a stud. Um, and then uh, Thomas Graham out of Oregon, who I think is a really good cornerback. They got in the sixth round. And then some guy, I have no idea who he is, a defensive tackle out of BYU. They did a lot to build around Justin Fields out of this draft alone. And I think they're going to continue to do that. If they can make some moves in the offseason to get him a couple of receiver weapons and, and uh, maybe add a little bit more to that offensive line, I actually think the Bears could be the favorite in that division going into next year. Here's where I disagree with with that, and and I would love for the Bears to go to the playoffs and have a lot of success. The Bears' defense in Mitch's rookie year, the year they went to the playoffs, the Bears' defense is what got them there. They scored so many non-offensive touchdowns. It was like that Alabama team back in 2016 that it was like they had a streak of like five or six consecutive games of a non-offensive touchdown. 
And that is what that that helped the the Bears out a lot because they were scoring points on defense or at least giving their their offense a really short field. I I really Matt Nagy's shown a lot since then though that he's not really come like if he's not competent as a play caller all the time, then then you can't be. And that's a lot like to me Gus Malzahn and how he would be like, all right, I'm giving away the play calling duties to somebody else, and then he'd rip it and take it back and be like, all right. Well, it's on me now. Now you can blame me if the offense doesn't do well. And it's like, look, I just don't think that the talent's there. And I think the receiver situation is a little bit bigger than than the Bears really made it out to be. I, I definitely think they should have gone after another uh, receiver earlier in the draft. But their offensive line wasn't very good last year. And the only way offense that they really were able to establish was whenever they, they get the run game going with uh, David Montgomery. So I – I think the Bears' defense is going to keep them competitive in every game. I mean, anytime you've got Khalil Mack, Eddie Jackson, Roquan Smith, like the defense is is filthy. I love I love the Bears' defense. Um, Eddie Jackson's one of my favorite players ever. Probably my favorite player from Alabama uh, in recent years, and uh, he's done a great job on that that defense of being like a, a threat to take a interception to the house. I just don't think that offensively there's enough around Justin Fields to make him successful off the rip. Oh yeah, I totally get that. But honestly, like we look at it, in my opinion, the biggest loser in this draft is Joe Burrow. The Bengals had the number five pick. Pine Sewell is sitting there. In my opinion, one of the best offensive tackles to come out of college football in a long time. They could take him. They got protection for their guy. They can start building around Joe Burrow and they take a receiver. And in my opinion, the Bengals receiver situation last year was not that bad. Did they have a star number one receiver? No, they didn't. AJ, AJ Green's not what he used to be. He barely even finished the year. Um, I mean, they had T. Higgins. They had Tyler Boyd. They still had John Ross, who they took like number five or eight or something like that a couple of years ago, even though he really never lived up to the billing. But I just think reaching for a receiver in a draft like this at number five, when you have Pina Sewell sitting right there, Huge, huge loss for a quarterback like Joe Burrow who just tore his ACL. Those idiots in the Bengals front office who drafted somebody who they're never going to be able to get the ball to because Joe Burrow is going to be on his back the whole game. It's, it's ridiculous. As soon as they drafted uh, the receiver from, from LSU, I immediately said goodbye to Joe Burrow's other knee. Because he's not going to make it the whole season. It's not going to happen. He's going to be all beat up and dirty. Actually, there's a picture surfacing around on on social media. It's it's uh, Joe Burrow uh, and then the receivers and other offensive players that the Bengals drafted. And Joe Burrow's uniform is all grassy and dirty. And he has like a grass, a big chunk of grass in his helmet. That's going to be the truth the whole season. Yeah, I didn't understand that pick. I mean, I guess maybe... Joe Burrow, if he had any input, was like, yeah, go get Jamar. Uh, I, want, I want him. But, dude, you've got to protect yourself. It doesn't matter how good Jamar Chase is if you can't get time in the pocket to throw the football. And last year, you didn't have any of that, Joe Burrow. So, get go get you an offensive lineman. Penny Sewell was – I mean, he's a big kid. And I, I just I, – him go him falling was a steal. Uh, the Dolphins got him right. Lions, the Lions. That's right. Yeah, I mean that to me that's a that's a that's a huge steal for the Lions, who now have protection for Jared Goff. And I mean I I don't know I don't know what the Bengals were thinking. I, I really don't. I, I I've got no words. Yeah, and honestly, that's partly what I kind of felt about the Falcons when they took Kyle Pitts originally. I was like, you know. In a draft like this where you could get a guy like Elijah Moore in the second round or Rondell Moore in the second round or Rashad Bateman, those guys are really, really good receivers. Those are guys that could end up being number one receivers or like really good number two receivers for your team. What is the point in taking a receiver in the top five? Like you really don't need to do that. And like how for the Falcons, Kyle Pitts is a tight end. And yeah, he's a unicorn because there's not a lot of tight ends that can do what he can do in the passing game. And that's what I kind of sold myself on is – He's a special guy. There's not going to be a lot of guys like him. Um, I mean, honestly, by the end of this, this year, I could see him being the third or fourth best tight end as a receiver in the league. I mean, easily. I mean, behind probably Travis Kelsey and um, uh, George Kittle and then Mark Andrews, who plays for the Ravens. I mean, besides that, I don't know who you could put in front of him. 
Um, obviously, we haven't seen him play yet, so you don't really know. But, I mean, just judging off of his Florida tape, that's probably what it's going to be like. But it's also like you could have taken a guy like that later on in the draft and gotten your future quarterback or gotten a star offensive tackle or someone like that where you could have improved your team for the long haul. But, you know, is what it is at this point, and he's going to end up being a good player. Initially, I was disappointed in that pick for the Falcons um, because I, I do wish the Falcons well. I, I live in Atlanta, and I hope that the Falcons are successful. Um, and, and I pull for the Falcons whenever they, they're on TV. If I'm, if I'm watching them, I don't always go out of my way to watch them. But I, what I didn't understand about it was how, how does that make you that much better? Like you already have so many weapons offensively that, that how does adding Kyle Pitts make you that much better? And I thought Hayden Hurst did a good job last year at, in the tight end spot uh, for the Falcons. And you've got Julio and you've got Ridley um, as the receivers. I just did, I, I didn't understand it. I get it in a way because now it's like, all right, look, in, in order for the Falcons to win, they're going to have to outscore everybody. So if they've got five threats that they can throw to on offense, and that's five reads that Matt Ryan can make if he's got the time. I think that, that that's that's they're what they can scheme up with Kyle Pitts and Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley in that offense could be really really nasty. But I don't know. I, I still I, I I still don't completely understand that pick. No, I mean I honestly think it just came down to I think Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith decided that they were not picking in this draft for the future and for what they wanted to do with the team after this year they want to compete this year they still think we have the pieces to go after go after a ring and win the division and honestly i think we do um i mean you've seen you've even seen the defense play good um obviously the falcons lost their top two safeties last year they signed two pretty decent guys and they drafted richie grant who i think is going to be a really good safety right away um I think he's going to help them out in a lot of areas but it's also like like, do you want to do you want to roll with this team? Does this team have the pieces for the offense you want to run, or are you just going to take what you have and just see what you can do? Because um, I honestly, to me, I think the team still has it in them to win a Super Bowl. But I also, I don't think like I think I think the Falcons can make the playoffs this next year. But I don't think we're going to win a Super Bowl. Like, I just there's just too many teams that are better suited for it and don't have the salary cap issues that we do. And the only way we're going to get rid of those issues is to trade Julio Jones. If you trade Julio Jones, you're not competing, even if you have Kyle Pitts. It's just how it is. So, um, I, Personally, I would have gone a different way, but if, if that's the way they wanted to go, then I'm pretty happy with this draft. That's why I would give it an A. And, and I don't disagree that the Falcons have the pieces right now to compete to make the playoffs and win the division. I mean, honestly, Tampa Bay, like, they were good last year, but they had their weaknesses throughout the year. I think that their defense is really the only thing that is was keeping them, you know, uh, above everyone else in the division. But now if you add Kyle Pitts, that m makes another matchup nightmare for a team like Tampa Bay. So, I, I mean, I, I understand it a little bit. I just think, you know, even if you're going one to win now, there's other ways that you could have gone to win now, like trading down and getting somebody else and more picks. Well, part of the reason that Tampa Bay was so good last year is um, they were able to get lots of pieces. They did have holes, but they did have lots of pieces, and it was partially because the players on that team were willing to be team players, like Tom Brady taking pay cuts to get some weapons around him. If, if Julio Jones really wanted to win games rather than just collect a paycheck, he would take a pay cut so they could actually afford some other players. Obviously, you know, a lot of players are looking out for themselves. They're looking to get the, the paycheck, and that's really their top priority, obviously. I mean, I don't know that I would want to take a pay cut just so I could, you know, get a you know another defensive guy in there or something like that. But th that's really what it takes to be a winning team. You can have good weapons, but the, the cap issue, once you have players for so long, it starts to become a huge issue. Oh, yeah, and, and, I, and you hit a key point there. It, it takes all the guys being a team player and people taking pay cuts. I mean, Matt Ryan and Julio Jones eat that cap alive. And, I mean, it, at what point do they sit down and say, look, a Super Bowl is more important to me uh, than continuing to lose games in the fourth quarter because our defense can't hold it up and then we're not making any adjustments on offense. Like, you, it, at some point enough's enough and you've got to say, all right, go, go do what we got to do to win. 
I definitely don't see Julio taking that cut. Oh no, <laughs> no, no. He he's he's not, and that's honestly why they're talking about trading him right now. But the problem is with the Falcons is our old front office didn't see that to win a Super Bowl nowadays. It's not about paying all your best players and keeping them on the roster and like continuing to build the team around like six or seven pieces on on both sides of the ball. It's about being doing well in the draft, taking what you can and turning it into like turning the guys that you're picking in like the fourth and fifth rounds. You're really not paying a lot of money with you still, you're still going to have on contract for like five years. You got to take advantage of those guys where you're not really paying them a lot of money. You got to take advantage of guys like that. You're taking the later rounds like the chiefs have done the past couple of years and they'll continue to do until they just can't do it anymore. And then they'll probably draft other good guys. That's what the Patriots did for years. Yeah. You got to leverage your players too. If you have one good player, you can leverage them for two or three good players that, that are slightly less good. That that's what Bill Belichick is was was so good at is like you would always be like oh my god I can't believe he traded that guy he's so good and then next thing you know they would go to another team and not be as good uh, like Jamie Collins I remember he traded him whenever he I mean he was killing it as a linebacker and he's like all right yep well, we can get rid of you like everyone's disposable to Bill Belichick yep. and and he's like look this is the National Football League there's a guy that's just as good as you out there that's willing to work harder and, and work for the purpose of winning. Now, where the Falcons missed a lot was in those first-round picks, too. I mean, obviously, Keanu Neal, you can't really fault him. He's been injured a lot. But Tack McKinley was a terrible pick in the terrible. first round. And then homeboy from Clemson, I can't even think of his name. Vic Beasley. Yeah, Vic Beasley, terrible first-round pick. Like Awful. I knew Tack McKinley was a bad pick when 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 dude brought brought a paint a picture of his grandmother up there with, uh, with him to to the stage and, and and was doing all that cussing Tom by like I, I was like what who who in the heck did they did, did, did these fools just draft yeah that guy had some serious mental issues I was I was pretty happy to get him like listen him. listen I understand this is a big moment for you I know your grandmother would have loved to see this but but you you gonna bring a whole ass uh picture of, of your grandma on stage. And then throw around swear words like you. Yeah, was and then doing. throw around swear words like 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 your grandma taught you better than that, man. Come on. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was not good. That he he got a little crazy too on Twitter. I don't know if y'all really followed him or anything. Um, I didn't even notice it until like the end of last year, right before we cut him. He was talking on Twitter like that he wanted to murder people and like he was apparently posting pictures of him like in a ski mask with a gun and like all this crazy stuff going on. So he he just wasn't what we needed to be honest. That's why. That's why Dan Quinn's gone. Like there were there were guys out there that were that have turned Watt. out to be a lot better pros that the Falcons just missed on. That exactly. TJ Watt. I mean that one. I, I just. I man, that one hurts. Uh, I just don't get it, man. And you know, as a Jags fan, I can say the same thing. I mean, they had the the that Taven Bryan kid, that the defensive end from Florida, and they got right after Dante Fowler. Neither of those guys worked out. You know, and the the teams that are successful, they get those value picks. And and honestly, we, we kind of hit on this last week in our draft preview. Those like picks twenty through thirty two, like how those guys can be second rounders. They go for like the highest value pick or what they need the best best available. Like honestly, I feel like those are the safest picks because when you get up in that one range, some of these guys get pumped up so high. That because they're they're so good against their peers in college, their work ethic might not be as good, and they, they might have already topped out their ceiling, whereas these guys that are like good, safe value picks haven't yet. And, I mean, it, it never fails. You always see guys that are in the second, third round, fourth round that, that turn out to be Hall of Famers just because they, they have great work ethic and, and they wind up outperforming some of those guys that were high-level draft picks. Oh, yeah, Matt, I totally agree with you. And a lot of that work ethic comes from playing for their college teams, um, a lot of them with some of these top-tier kind of coaches. And we are a college football podcast, so I, I don't know if you guys have been reading on Twitter lately or being on social media, but uh, um, this past weekend and early on this week, there's been a lot of talks on the CFB committee having, I think it was 8 out of 11 of the voters, of the executive members, vote that they were in favor of an expanded playoff or at least into having serious discussion on an extended playoff for this upcoming season or the next season. It sounds like it would be eight teams, um, maybe five 
auto bids. I can't remember if it was five auto bids or just um, for the power five teams or just straight up top eight teams. How you guys feel about an expanded playoff? All that's going to do is just cut down the regular season games and it's just going to put in teams that shouldn't be anywhere near making a national championship. Like it's, it's just going to take out games that are pretty good games and put in games that are going to be blowouts. Like, Oh, Alabama versus um, uh, Washington State. That that game will be a blowout. Like if if Washington State, you know, ends up winning the Pac twelve, uh, you know, wins a pack at the Pac twelve, and the Pac twelve was weak, and Washington State is ranked eighth in the country, and the committee puts in the top eight teams into a, a playoff. We're gonna have to see Alabama versus Washington State, and that is gonna you know have potential to have Alabama players get hurt. And ruin their season, you know. It's just things I don't want to see. Why are we talking about expanding something that's already pretty good? You know, I I said this back whenever we talked about this in around December. It was getting close to bowl season. That I thought in the next year or two they were going to expand. And I still don't like it. And the reason I don't like it is because it's very rare to find a 4-1 game. A 4-seed versus a 1-seed game that's like a really good, compelling game already. So now we're going to add an 8-1 game, which, again, is going to be kind of a blowout. And then a 7-2 game, which is probably also going to be a blowout because, like, honestly, the past couple years, there's really only been three teams that you could say, all right, these are the three teams that could potentially win a national championship. Why are we trying to add more games just for the sake of adding games? Like, if you're going to add games, make sure that they have at least some sort of value and I don't think that you're adding any value by expanding the playoff. All you're doing is just fattening your pockets. And that's really all college football has really turned into be the past few years is what are what's the money looking like? And I, I'm pretty sure that this year the national championship wasn't as highly rated as it has been in the past because people love the Alabama fatigue and then Ohio State, Clemson. Those are the three teams that are in it every single year, it seems like. And then you have uh, – Oklahoma, Notre Dame, or Georgia that gets plopped in there as a four seed. Um, so I, I just I, I don't see why we're going to continue to expand it just to add games. Like uh, it doesn't make sense. And then it and then it's going to turn into oh well, how come the SEC has three teams in and the Big Twelve has two teams in? You know, because they're going to want to they're going to want to throw the big name brands in there. Now that he said that, he's right. Yeah, I mean. Like you're gonna, they're gonna give boost to teams like Texas if Texas is moderately good and Oklahoma's good, then, then you're gonna have it's gonna be Texas, Oklahoma, Alabama, Ohio State are gonna be your four, mm-hmm. and then if Georgia or Florida, whoever wins the East, now you're gonna have you know so so five teams are gonna be SEC Big Twelve, and then you're gonna get USC or Oregon from the Pac twelve just because, and then all right, are we gonna throw? UCF or Boise State a bone now or Cincinnati or whoever's good that year from the group of five? No, they're still going to get the shaft. It's just the way that it works. Yeah, Matt, you, when you said that, I immediately just, just thought he, he, is, he is damn right about that. All, all expanding is going to do is make things worse. The SEC is going to get three teams in, probably Alabama, Florida, and Georgia along those lines, something like that. If the Big Ten has a good year, hey, they can they can get in Ohio State, Penn State, or somebody else. It's just gonna make things so bad. The Big Twelve, Iowa State is 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 a lot better than they, than the you know what they've been. Oklahoma's per, is always up, up in the mix. If Texas you know is finally finally comes back, the Big Twelve could get three teams in. It's it's still gonna leave those smaller teams out. It's still gonna leave the Pac twelve out because the Pac twelve really only has one shot of, of getting into the playoff. You know. It's just going to make things so bad. I really wish they wouldn't do this. See, in my opinion, the biggest impact it's going to have is on the regular season. I think the postseason, although I agree with everything you guys have just said, it's going to make things way worse. We're going to have a bunch of games that, in my opinion, don't really need to happen. Are we going to get like an upset here and there? Like, is an eight going to upset a one maybe like once or twice in the next 20 years? Probably. I'd say that I'd say there's a chance that could happen once Nick Saban leaves Alabama because before he leaves Alabama, they're not. Alabama's going to be one every other year, and they'll probably be whoever they play. So, um, But that being said, think about what it's going to do to the regular season for like rivalry games. Like, Look at 2019 when Alabama lost to LSU. There were one versus two. Alabama was a one-loss team. All they had to do was go in and beat Auburn, 
and they made the playoff. They could make, they could have made the playoff. And Auburn, who's an eight and four team, beats them at like last second, one of the best games I've ever seen in college football history, knocks Alabama out of the playoff. If we had an eight team playoff that year, that game would have been completely meaningless. Like it would not have mattered whatsoever. Two lost Bama's in. They were a top they're they're a top eight team. We're putting them in. I mean, I honestly think they were a top four team that year. But they didn't deserve to be in. They lost two games. And there were other teams that deserved to be in over them. And honestly, I'd say they were comparable talent-wise. So um, that's just that's just what it's going to do for me. Like, we're going to see a lot of teams get in that really just not – even, not even that they don't deserve to get in, but it's just going to dilute the regular season so much. Like, these one or two losses, these upsets are not going to matter as much as they do now. And is, is it going to counteract with the postseason? Because we're going to get more upsets. We're going to get more teams that don't usually get in. Maybe. But in my opinion, it's not worth giving up what we have in the regular season right now. But see, here's the problem. What would end up happening, and, and using the example that you used a minute ago, if Alabama got in as a two-loss team that year and somehow managed to, to win the whole thing, then, then the committee says, oh, well, that validates it because two-loss Alabama won it all. And so they, they proved that even though they had two losses, they were the best team. Like, like that To me, it's like, no, like they're, they're, the whole allure of college football is that the regular season matters so much. You Completely cannot agree. lose. And, and like the NFL, you can lose seven games when your division is a nine and seven team, you get a home game and then who knows what happens? Like you can make a run. I mean, my God, the Seahawks won a home playoff game at seven and nine. It, it, it happens in the NFL. That's not the way that college football was intended to be ever. Like, Honestly, I didn't hate the BCS system. I really didn't. I thought that it was a it was a good system. The games were all competitive normally. And, you know, for the most part, the BCS championship was right. If they wanted to add the human element in and say, "All right, these are the two teams that are going to play for the national championship." I wouldn't hate that. But we're if we're, like if we're going to have the playoff, keep it with four teams because there have been years where the four seed has actually shown out and 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 like the first year Ohio State wins it all as a four seed and everyone's like, Oh my God, like see it. it and, and that's kind of what I was going off of with. It validates the system. If it happens once the four seed wins it all that year, the four seed won it when Alabama went in as the four. And that's how they validate it. Even though, you know, most likely those teams were probably the two best teams. One of the two best teams in college football that year. See, in my opinion, the only like legitimate reason that you would need an expansion is to incentivize smaller teams to be undefeated. I'm not saying that those teams would win the games if they get in the playoff. Coastal Carolina might play Alabama a hundred times and win once or or none. They would not. The problem is, is that if you start putting those two loss Alabama teams in there anyway, then you no longer even have that one reason, which is the incentive to go undefeated. But but that's what's but that's what's gonna happen. Like the the small schools are still gonna get the shaft now. Exactly. Now, like like for example, last year if they would have had an eighteen playoff, Cincinnati wasn't gonna get in. Florida would have got in over them. They would have put in two lost Florida in over exactly. undefeated Cincinnati, and that's what's gonna happen every single year. It doesn't matter how many teams you go to until they go to a, a system where there's an automatic bid for a group of five team. There's not a group of five team getting in. It's all about name brand, baby. It's all about money. Florida's going to bring in more money than Cincinnati, period. Okay, let's, let's, talk, let's look at it this way then. What if it's automatic bid, five power five teams, it's an 18 playoff, five power five teams, two at-large teams, like the two next, next top-ranked teams, and a group of five team? Would that make it better? No, because, the, the, okay, if you, do, if, you do, if, you do, if you do five power five auto bids, you cannot convince me that the Pac-12 champion is always deserving of being in there the, with the with the current trend that the Pac-12 has been on. You can't you can't convince me. I'm sorry. Like last year, Oregon had no business being in the playoff, but they would have been in the playoff when they weren't even supposed to be in the in the Pac-12 championship. But because of COVID and it was a weird year, they play in the Pac-12 championship. They win the Pac-12 championship, and now they're going to be in the playoff just because they want no they, they, that that's ridiculous. See, this isn't like the NFL where you have 32 sort of similar teams that if anybody gets in, they can win. It's 150-ish teams 
where you have all levels of talent and, and different play styles, and it's just a mess. And it's really there's no way to win this system with this unlevel playing field. You know, nobody's everybody's not going to be happy all the time. There's just really no right answer for how to include everybody and also have good games. There's a fair way, and there's a way to have good games. There's not really a good way to have both right now. But there's such a disparity in college football right now, talent-wise, that it doesn't matter what you do. And that's just – but it's always been that way. Like, college football has always been that way. There have been dominant teams for for eras, and, and, and it's been okay. But for whatever reason, now we've decided, like, oh, Alabama's, uh, Alabama fatigue. And, and I know, like, I'm not trying to sound like a homer, but, but everyone's sick and tired of watching us win. Everyone, everyone is ready to watch Alabama lose. So they're trying to figure out how can we make this at least more interesting. I'm sorry, but watching Alabama play against an eight seed is not going to be that fun. It's not. Humble brag. <laughs> Humble brag. All right, guys. Let's go ahead and get into our pour one out, cut them off segment. Lando, who you pour one out for? This week, I am not pouring one out for anybody. Nobody impressed me this week, so I'm not pouring one out for nobody. But I am, however, cutting off late start times for primetime events like the NFL draft, the uh, college football games, uh, the college basketball national championship, things of that nature. Um, I am sick and tired of these things starting at 9 o'clock and going into the late night, not getting done until like 12, 1 o'clock. I want to go to bed. I have things I have to do the next day. The NFL draft is, is, is our latest example. It came on at 8 o'clock. And they didn't, they didn't really start the first pick until like almost 8.30. Like, why, why is this thing dragging on for so long? Why are we watching, uh, who was that band that was performing at the draft? Kings of Leon. Kings, Kings of, of Leon. Leon, right. Why are we watching Kings of Leon perform three, three songs from like 2007 uh, on, on primetime television? I don't want to see this. I, 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 I turned, I tuned in at eight o'clock to watch Trevor Lawrence get drafted number one to, to the Jaguars. I didn't tune in to watch Kings of Leon. So we need we need to figure out how to get these start times better so that way I can watch it and then go to bed. Dude, I'm I'm totally with you on that. Uh the, the it's a bit ridiculous. I feel like old man yelling at clouds, but you're right. It 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 gets it gets so late. And the and why do we drag out every pick? Most of the time the picks in for like ten minutes and they're just sitting there like, oh, I wonder what they're gonna do. I wonder what they're gonna do. Meanwhile, some random fan is sitting there in Roger Goodell's seat, which is stupid. But nonetheless, uh, I, this week I am pouring one out for college baseball. Um, the atmosphere of college baseball recently has been absolutely electric. If you haven't been tuning in to watch your favorite team, I would suggest you do it. Um, college baseball, and, and I've always been a college baseball stand, but this year in particular, it's picked up even more uh like steam uh with, with everybody it's starting to get even more energetic it's been a blast to watch um not just the sec but but i've watched georgia southern um it's been a great great season for college baseball i would say it's been way more fun than the mlb this year um so if you're not watching college baseball and you're a baseball fan i would definitely suggest that you go out and uh that you you check out some some baseball this weekend got some exciting series coming up um and then i am cutting off lebron blames because uh lebron decided that last year a good idea for the playoffs would be to have a play-in game and or series and he was the one that says that and then this year the nba throws the idea out there of doing that and lebron says whoever came up with that idea needs to be fired well, LeBron, you came up with that idea, you dumbass. I, I'm sorry, but it, the, this is like why I have never been able to jump on the LeBron train. It's like he's a great player, and and I do not want to take away from that. He's a top five player of all time. He is a phenomenal basketball player, but he is such a freaking idiot when it comes to things like this. Like, I, I cannot stand hearing LeBron like say this last year and then I'll be like, Oh, that's the stupidest shit I ever heard of. Like, come on, Bron. Like, like make your mind up, dude. Like it, it and it's only because it's not going to benefit his team this year. That's the only reason he's, he's even saying it. it's because the, the Lakers are a seven seed and he's been down with a sore ankle. I just, I, I'm sorry, LeBron, you're cut off. You're drunk. 
lay off the vino, baby. Wit. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree on that. I was actually going to cut off um, the NBA playoffs for for doing that this year. I, I think that is really stupid, and I think LeBron being the one. I mean, I I saw those tweets. He was saying last year that he wanted to do it. Now he he hates it for some reason. So um, NBA is just kind of a mess, to be honest. But um, I'm going to be pouring one out for Josh Pate. Um, he's the host of the Late Kick podcast. If you guys haven't checked it out, um, you'll definitely need to. Now, I'm not one for free advertising, but I'll, I'll give it to Josh Pate all day. His podcast is awesome. The, his last episode, he went on a big rant, um, and it has been all over social media. Um, even ESPN's kind of been talking about it a little bit. Um, his podcast is more from 24-7 Sports, um, which is kind of ran through CBS. He um, went on a big rant about why he thinks that the playoff expansion, pretty much what we did today, why he thinks the playoff expansion will destroy college football and, um, and how he thinks that even though it'll probably bring a lot more money to college football, especially with how things are changing with like the um, with the way that players can make money and whatnot, he thinks that it's going to kill the game for the fans, which I completely agree with. Um, so I'm going to be pouring one out for him. I'm going to be cutting off day three of the NFL draft, rounds four through seven. Honestly, round four, I enjoy usually. Rounds five through seven, extremely boring. It's honestly, it's like it's like watching it's like watching day two of any golf tournament that's not the Masters. Like you kind of just have it on, you just have it on in the background. You don't really watch it. Like you take a nap through, like maybe just listen out for a couple of names. Like oh, you know, oh, um, Richard LeCount from Georgia. Oh, he got drafted to the Browns. That's awesome. Besides that, you're like, who the heck is? Uh, Oh, oh, Oni Smith or like some Oni Smith from Central Division of the Blind, like some random stuff like that. Like that's half of those players. Like you don't even know their names. You just kind of listen out for like really cool guys, like really good players in college, like Sam Ellinger, guys like that. Um, And they keep trying to make it exciting by having like fans and like old players and stuff coming out, come and announce the picks instead of Roger Goodell which I get, like, that's cooler than having Goodell say, like, every single pick. And I'm sure at that point, Goodell's like, I'm ready to be back in my chair in my basement at that point. But it's honestly just so boring. Um, I honestly have I have no idea how to improve it whatsoever. I just think it's I just think it's boring, and I think it should be cut off. Keys, what about you? Who are you pouring one out for? So I'm going to be pouring one out for the Bears, and this is a bit of a bias for me because, obviously, I was rooting for our hometown, Justin Fields, no matter where he went. But I think he was an absolute steal for the Bears who have been without a real QB for years and whether or not they can capitalize on that pick is up to them, but they definitely have the tool to do so. And they also picked up some QB protection in tackle Tevin Jenkins and guard Larry Borum. And the Browns are actually probably the winner of the draft. Like you guys talked about earlier, but uh, I like the bears picks and I, th- I think they did a good job. And I'm going to be cutting off the Texans who are adding some kindling to their already burning fire of quarterback drama. They had, no first or second round picks. They picked up a relatively average quarterback in Davis Mills. And then they did a whole lot of moving around with their picks just to end up drafting Nico Collins from Michigan and linebacker Garrett Wallow from TCU. And I don't think we've seen the end of the Texans problems going into the 2021 season. There's still a lot of uncertainty with Deshaun Watson and that whole mess. Their team seems to be in pieces right now, so they're cut off. Well, that's our show. Thank you guys for listening. As always, we appreciate it. Please give us a follow on Instagram at Around the Keg and on Twitter at Around the Keg Pod. Send us any questions or topics you want us to discuss on the show. We'll be happy to include as much as we can. Our artist of the week this week is Sound Culture. Here's their song, High Road, to play us out. Have a great week. See y'all. Mouse right and check.
bags I'ma take to the bank You bet your ass I'm cashing in on all this bullshit you're spouting But wait, before we get to that, let's take a step back Whoa, you think of my decisions, ain't none of my business No, oh, I live in living someone else's vision I've got too many opinions Even wanna Just relax. I'm hoping we can let this go. Practice a 